This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, and welcome to In Focus Sport from Control Risks Specialist Risk Consultancy. I'm Alicia Fitterman, an Associate Director in the Compliance, Forensics and Intelligence team here at Control Risks. In each In Focus Sport episode, my colleague, John Brown, the head of the forensics practice across Europe, Middle East and Africa, will sit down with a guest to discuss their views and insights on a range of current themes linked to the integrity of sports. This is part two of a conversation with Kieran Maguire. If you missed part one, where John and Kieran talk about some of the biggest financial challenges faced by the football teams of today, you can listen to it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search Control Risks. Alternatively, you can listen to it directly on our website at www.controlrisks.com. In this episode, John and Kieran, the writer of The Price of Football and co-host of the popular podcast by the same name, take a look at the various types of investors taking an interest in football clubs across the UK. We've definitely seen a kind of upswing in interest, I guess, from private equity, both in investing in leagues, but also investing in clubs. Could you talk a bit more about that? And particularly, how do you think that the expectations of private equity, for example, would differ from your traditional club owner? What are they looking for in return? And when I think about a traditional club owner, I'm, I'm getting on a bit. So I think about the, the local businessman that's earned a bit of money and then buys his childhood club. So things are very different now. We have seen a private equity potential investment in respect of Juventus Football Club. There have been other interests in in some of the leagues themselves with a view to trying to maximise revenue streams. So, so football clubs have got three revenue streams in effect. First of all, there are, there is match day in the form of ticket sales. That ultimately is constrained by the size of the stadium. So unless you increase the size of the stadium or you increase ticket prices, and from a political point of view, that's very difficult to do because football fans are quite a militant bunch and they will resist in a variety of forms. It is, if, if you are seen as being a club that's got revenues of five or six hundred million pounds and then you're trying to nickel and dime the fan base by putting up the price of tickets, that generates reputational damage. So that particular inco- income stream is is probably uh, at, at peak at present, unless you do do a Spurs and, and build a new stadium. Then we have commercial developments. We're probably at peak position to a certain extent with regards to that. There's a limited amount of of ways that you can use football clubs to to advertise products and, and commercial partners. Although we have seen a lot of innovation with regards to that. So front of shirt sponsorship, we now have sleeve sponsorship, we have the LED advertising. I think some of the next things that will take place will be some form of alternative advertising taking place for those people who are watching the matches on TV whilst the matches are taking place. At present, the the 45 minutes of football is sacrosanct. Well, I've been to other countries to, to watch football on TV, and they're now starting to advertise during the match with sort of ticker tapes going at the top of the bottom of the screen. Worth around about just over £3 billion a year is broadcasting. We have seen the traditional broadcast media being very much dominant. We have subscription TV. You've got to give the Premier League 
some credit for when it was set up in, in 1992. The negotiators went out to Nigeria, to Nigeria, to Australia, to the US and said, we're the Premier League. We're going to give you the rights to watch football effectively for nothing. The broadcasters said, well, thank you very much. Yeah, that, that, fills, that fills in slots in our schedule. What the broadcasters found was that Premier League rights reduced the amount of cable cutting because it is an addictive product. So the next time the deal was up for renewal, say three or five years later, the Premier League said, well, yeah, we, we understand that, that your viewers are very keen on this. How about paying us a bit of money? If not, we'll go to your competitors. So the broadcasters started to pay. And, and as the Premier League sell their product effectively as a single package, it was quickly discovered that more so than movies, more so than Game of Thrones and those types of programs, Premier League football, because football is an addictive product, was very much the jewel in the crown. So, so that has been successful. But we are now seeing disruptors to the, the broadcast market, the introduction of OTT services through the likes of Amazon, who, who have managed to pull off the deal of the century, as far as I'm concerned. The, the senior broadcasters, Sky and BT, they've paid £5 billion for a three-year deal. Now, they, they, they do get the majority of the matches. Amazon have paid £90 million three-year deal. It only gives them two sets of fixtures, but those two sets of fixtures have been perfectly timed, one of which is at the start of December. When what are people doing? Well, they're thinking of buying their Christmas presents, and the other set of fixtures is on Boxing Day. And what are people doing? Well, they've got bored of Christmas, and now they're looking to spend money. Well, you get sucked into the Amazon Prime ecosystem, and speaking as somebody that lives and dies by Amazon Prime, once you're in that ecosystem, you're never leaving. So Amazon, I think, have been very, very candid with the way that they've negotiated this particular package. They've got it at a rock-bottom price. The Premier League were really keen to have an alternative broadcaster to see whether there is some form of future in perhaps taking the rights in-house themselves and distributing them directly to two fans via some of these alternative channels. So I think everybody's perhaps won from this, and it'll be interesting to see where the future of broadcasting goes. But taking ourselves back to, to private equity, I think they see there's this huge amount of growth in that particular market. The Manchester City owners, the City Football Group, they sold 10% of the City Football Group to Silver Lake, who are a tech company, last year for, I think it was around about 500 million. Now, given that Manchester United are the, the only club that really have a quoted on a senior stock exchange, Manchester United's market cap is around about 2. 2.6 billion, you add on the debt, you get an enterprise value of around about 3.3, 3.4 million pounds. Now, if, if you, you were to ask anybody, what's the bigger club, Manchester City or Manchester United, they'd all say Manchester United. So, so why have City been sold at such a premium? It's because Silver Lake see the, the technological opportunities of, of buying into to Manchester City, which is an alternative operated club. It has lots of satellite clubs dotted around the world in, in Uruguay, Japan, India, Belgium, France, and so on. It's, it's an intriguing business model. In terms of their exit route, I, I think we might see private equity change and, and taking a slightly longer term view. You know, we, we've certainly seen this with the sale of Six Nations, Aviva Rugby, buying into Formula One and so on. I think the, the, the potential annual returns might be beneficial rather than sort of the traditional PE route of you know, you're looking for an exit as soon as you've, you've acquired the business. So you talked quite a lot there about maximising the revenue streams that are available in football particularly those types of investors that are looking to do that. Do you think that's something that's going to be well received by fans, for example? Is it something that'll be good for the game overall? 
No, I, I think it will go down appallingly with fans because if I was a shareholder of Manchester United, I would be wanting to take ownership of my individual broadcasting rights. According to Manchester United, it's got 1.1 billion fans dotted around the world. If I could sell to just 1% of those for every home match and, and I'm charging them £10 a time, then you start to to work out the numbers. And all, all of a sudden, the existing form of that there is inequality uh, in the Premier League where the the, the clubs with the highest revenues. Uh, we, we take effectively uh, in, in English football, we've got what we refer to as the big six. These are the two senior Manchester sides, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs. Those clubs, they average revenues of 500 million sterling a year. The remaining clubs in, in the division, the, 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 the median revenue is 150. So, so th- there is an existing gap, but that gap would be significantly amplified if PE companies come in and say, well, let's not pretend that there's any form of egalitarianism in football it's every person for themselves and therefore we're going to take control and, and we're going to to maximize return for for investors that won't go down well with fans we, we've seen a very strong reaction to the attempts to do that with with a recent development called project big picture which was effectively run by by Manchester United and Liverpool it would have increased the gap between the the senior well the, the, the bigger clubs and the smaller clubs I think some of the the, the other issues football go in future. Well, we've seen the NFL come to London very successfully. Manchester United versus Chelsea taking place in Dubai or Saudi or Riyadh or, or New York. I, I, I can imagine the prices you'd be able to command for those tickets. So the reaction of fans is that they see the potential change in ownership and the removal of the Premier League operating as a collective as sort of the destruction of traditional football in this country to be replaced by something which is perhaps has got the best of both worlds from an investor's point of view, comparing the the US system, which is a closed system, guaranteed revenues. But the problem from from an investor's perspective is that to, to buy a franchise in the NFL or the NBA is very, very expensive. And then it becomes incredibly democratic in the, in the sense that Ticket revenues are sold. 60% is kept by the home club. The rest is is pooled between the other clubs. Merchandise, all the revenues from that are pooled and, and, and then distributed on an even basis. The, the same is broadly true with, with broadcasting. So, so that puts some constraints. If you've got a fantastic brand such as Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Chelsea, PSG or whatever, what you want to be doing is is to keeping all of your revenues because you are the brand and still have the, the stopgap of closed systems in terms of no relegation and things of this nature. So I think that's what the the investors would be looking for. And and there'll be a lot of interest. Manchester United, I think, would be significantly undervalued by the market if that type of change does get greater traction. Thanks, Kieran. That's genuinely fascinating. And as an accountant and a football fan myself, it's a topic I'd happily talk about all day. For those listening, I would wholeheartedly recommend subscribing to Kieran's podcast, The Price of Football, and also seek out the book of exactly the same name. Kieran's mentioned he's very generously donating profits from the book to charity, at least for now. So you get the double whammy of getting to read an excellent book and also contributing to a good cause. So thanks again, Kieran. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. 
Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.